good choice might be also. And then also, uh, try to turn in all missionary books if you have them out so we can share with others and make sure we don't all, you know, just forget about them. I know I'm guilty. I do stuff sitting around at home, too. Right? <laughs> and a couple other things, too. Uh, I mentioned a sign-up for the breakfast in the back. We'll have a clip, too, uh, where they start a new sign-up sheet for the specials for the next quarter. So you can uh, sing and worship, uh, praise report, scripture, testimony, anything you want. Just bring your talents forward. Don't be shy.
apart from our lips, oh God. I pray that you would be with her, that you would give her healing and strength, oh God. And I pray, oh God, for your power to just be present, oh God, for your healing touch to just be shown. And I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for your protection, oh God. And I pray that you would continue to abide with us as we abide in you. And I think about your matchless grace that you showed us all the time. And I know that you are with us and your presence, your presence is with us. And I just pray, Lord God, for all our national leaders, oh Father, in our country. And I pray, oh God, that you would lead them by your Holy Spirit. That we would just continue to just draw from your strength, from your will that gives us life. It gives us life more abundantly. And I pray these things in name in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today we have a special prayer request from Mark and Mark, their father dealing with some health issues, dealing with some heart complications. And today I want to anoint them in place of their father and ask for God to just allow his strength to be made perfect for his healing touch to be upon their father, Steve. So if Mark and Mark come forward.
situations for Barb Watkins to if she is dealing with a serious injury that she, she broke or she
We thank you for your grace, which is sufficient for us. For your power is made perfect in our weakness. And I just pray, Lord God, that your presence would just encompass us and engulf in us, Lord Father. And that we would be filled and overflowing with your spirit. We thank you for your word that does miraculous and supernatural things for us. And I just pray that you would give us a heart full of discernment, a heart full of understanding. We praise you for your wonderful deeds and what you're going to do here this morning, in this very hour. And I pray this in your name, in Jesus' name. Well, greetings, everybody. Thank you for coming here to Newton Falls Church of Nazarene. And it's a wonderful morning as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we come together to praise the Lord for his, for his great, wonderful works. As he comes in traditionally on a donkey and he rides in, in triumph and victory. And it's a great Sunday as it preludes next Sunday, which is the greatest Sunday of all, Easter Sunday, the day that our Lord Jesus rises from the dead and defeated death and, and just came in victory. And it's a wonderful day. It's the, it's the best day in history is resurrection. Amen. Because he rose from the dead and defeated sin and death and made a way for us to be with the Father. So be it. And today we're going to be talking about the traditional Sunday as Jesus, Palm Sunday, as he's riding in victorious and he's being cheered by the crowds. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 11 today, verses 1 through 11. So if you have a Bible, please turn there. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. text today is going to be talking about Jesus and how he rides victoriously on the donkey of a cool. And I just want to, while you're turning there, I want to share with you, you know, sometimes we have different expectations from people. We have different thoughts about people. We expect people to act the way when, you know, we expect them to think a certain way. We expect them to behave a certain way and expectations they develop from a certain pattern of the thinking that we have over the years as we get to know people as we meet strangers as we are inclined to think such as the culture does and some expectations come from needs that we have in our own lives like the expectation of you know being loved the expectation of being accepted the expectation of being embraced by people, not just people we know, but strangers too. But what happens when those expectations aren't met, when we aren't treated the way we think we should be treated, when we're not accepted by the people we think we should be accepted by, when we're not forgiven by people we feel like we should be 
forgiven by? What happens when those expectations that we are inclined to have aren't met by people in certain situations and certain aspects of our life? You know, a lot of times when our expectations aren't met, you know, some kind of emotions usually bubble up to the surface. If our expectations aren't met, we, we can get angry or sad or depressed, and we could even hold resentment and bitterness toward our expectations from people that don't meet them. And I remember this past Wednesday, too, you know, I was already pumped up for Bible study, you know, to get together and, you know, teach from the Word and get together and have that great fellowship. But then I looked outside and I seen something that I really didn't expect. I seen a ground filled with this white stuff that we like to call snow in Ohio. And Ohio is pretty much the only place where you could wear a pair of shorts and a jacket in the same week because weather is so unpredictable here in Ohio. So I had this expectation, it wasn't to see snow on the ground. I can tell you that for sure. My expectation was, you know, to have a great Wednesday night Bible study, which we had to cancel because of the weather. And, you know, when that expectation for me wasn't met, you know, I kind of got, you know, down and a little discouraged. But the Lord reminded me, you know, that I'm going to have expectations and I'm going to have plans that don't go according to my own way, right? We all have plans that go this way. We all have plans that don't work out the way that we expect them to. And that's when we really need to trust and lean on the Lord, not for our own understanding, but we need to acknowledge Him in everything we do, everything we say, in every aspect of life. We just need to trust in the Lord. And that sometimes is the hardest things to do, right? Amen, church. Because I know a lot of times, you know, I have this plan and I have these steps that I go in motion with to achieve that plan. And sometimes those steps are just taken away and the Lord takes me in a new direction. You know, and we just all need to trust and lean in the, in the direction that He has taken us as individuals in our relationship with Him. You know, I think about, you know, we all have different expectations. You know, we all have expectations in our marriages too with our spouses. You know, we expect them to do certain things and say certain things, but you know, a lot of times when our spouses don't live up to the expectations that we want them to, we can get discouraged, we can get mad, we can get angry at them, and not just in marriage, but that can be with our siblings too, with our brothers and sisters or or our moms and dads too. And there's people all over in our lives who don't really live up what we expect them to be. But what happens with our relationship with God? You know, I know sometimes God doesn't live up to our expectations in the way you know, you know we expect a certain thing to happen, but it doesn't happen the way we plan. You know, take the, for instance, when we lose a loved one, you know, when we lose a spouse or when we lose a parent, 
I'm sure that wasn't in our plans, that wasn't on our agenda in life, you know. And that could be a really hard and tough thing to deal with when we lose a loved one, or even when we lose a job, or when we're, you know, struggling financially. That's not the plans that we had. We have this plan to live a perfect life, to have our family with us until the day we die. We expect to be able to pay all our bills and do even more and be able to take vacations. And these are some of the expectations that we may have. But what happens when you know God doesn't meet our expectations? <clears throat> and I think it's so easy to praise God when everything is going well. It's easy to praise God when we have those storms or trials in our lives. But I think our character is defined with what we do when things aren't going well, when things aren't going all peachy, when things aren't going according to our plan. Because it's not about our plan and our desires and our motives, but God has a purpose in our pain. God has a purpose in our trials. God has a purpose in our suffering. That sometimes we have to look beyond ourselves and just trust in the Lord and His plan even when we don't see because we are called to walk by what? By faith and not by sight. We are called to walk by faith and not by sight because we know that God knows our future. He's the one who holds tomorrow and even if we cannot see the full picture we know that God is in control and that he has best intentions for his children. Now what does it say in the book of Hebrews? It talks about what? It talks about how the Lord disciplines his children for their good. Unlike an earthly father who usually disciplines their child for his own good. Today we're going to be talking about some expectations that some of the Lord's people had of Jesus when he came. Because it's interesting to, to see the gospel of Mark. And we see all these four gospels together. And they all talk about Jesus. And they all have, you know, different stories intertwined with them. But they all give a different perspective of the same gospel. And in the Gospel of Mark, he focuses on Jesus as the suffering servant, the one who would come and die for man's sin. But the good news is that three days later, he would be risen from the dead to defeat death and raise in glory. And that's the good news that we have. So let's go ahead and read Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. And it says, as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethany, in Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead, go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door as they were untying it. Some bystanders 
demanded, what are you doing untying that cord? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the cord to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. And Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Praise God in the highest heaven! So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple, and looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the twelve disciples. That's the word of the Lord that we have here this morning. As I said, he didn't come as a conquering king in all his military might and his strategy, but he came lowly in humility, riding in on a donkey, not to defeat kingdoms by the sword, but by the power of the Spirit. And this is a beautiful story that talks about Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. And it would have just seemed odd to just come and cut down branches for a king that is entering. Palm branches symbolize victory, victory that represented defeat over enemies. And they were waved as a political leader came in. And we see Jesus entering here as he is the victorious king. He is our king. He is our priest. He is our great high prophet. He is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And nothing is too difficult for this king. But it's interesting to note that he came into the city of Jerusalem. And all the people were praising and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. But then a week later, they would be screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And he entered into a city as a hero, but then a week later he became the villain, the one that most of the people in the city wanted to see dead as they would crucify him. And they would shout, crucify him, crucify him. And a lot of times too, we can have these expectations of different people. And we could do the same thing. We could shout how great, how wonderful they are. But then a short time later, we could treat them as a villain because they didn't come and meet our expectations. We see that people, even their shouts of Hosanna could be an indication of their desires. But Hosanna is often used as a term that meant save us, save us, save us, save us now. Hosanna, a phrase that we hear the children of Israel often repeating over and over again. They long to be saved. They long for their deliverance. But Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem, not in military might, but he came lowly on a donkey, humbly, bringing the good news of salvation to his people. And he, it didn't matter that he entered on this donkey, Humility hopes that they would see the salvation come because 
He didn't come in the manner, in the way that they expected. He didn't fulfill their expectations as Savior. He didn't fulfill their expectations as Lord. They expected a whole different kind of Savior. And when they were, when their expectations weren't met, they got mad, they got furious, they got angry, and they even wanted to kill him and take his very own life. But they didn't take his life. Jesus voluntarily offered his life so he could save his people from the spiritual wickedness, so he could save people from hell, from the torments and the flames and the fire of hell. He wanted his people, he wanted people to be with him in paradise. And this is something that a lot of people just cannot and will not accept, that Jesus isn't going to come in with swords and killing a bunch of people so he can be left with his own people. But he came into war humbly as his ministry was full of healings. His ministry was full of miracles. His ministry was full of supernatural occurrences and events because he wanted the very, very best for his people. And he came in victory, riding on the donkey, as the people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. But he wasn't the king that they expected, but he was the very king that they needed at that specific time. And he is a king that we all need in our lifetime, in our life, right now at this very moment. And he's the king that everybody needs in all aspects of history, all aspects of time. He is the perfect king, the spotless lamb of God who would die for our sins, who would be beaten beyond recognition. He had his skull pierced with a crown of thorns. And he did it all for us. He might not meet some people's expectations, but he is the Lord of glory. He is the one that all people will have to give an answer to, that every knee and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And there's this myth that's going around in our culture, in our world today, that people don't need saving, that there isn't a literal place called hell, but I want to correct that myth and correct that untruth to tell you that there is a literal place called hell, that everyone who doesn't proclaim Jesus as Lord will go to and burn for eternity. And that's why we need to have this urgency to see many come to know the Lord before he comes back again. Amen. And Jesus came back and he had this unusual victory because the people had these political expectations of him. The people's cries for a Messiah always tend to be accompanied by expectations on their part. 
in this triumphal entry, this, this king that rides in on a donkey illustrates his majesty, it illustrates his greatness, it illustrates how he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And they welcome in Jesus the same way they would welcome a political leader or a victorious soldier by waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna the highest, save us now. And I think the people who are waving those palm branches, they aren't very really much different from us to that we often seek our salvation through political means. You know, we often seek our salvation through political means. We often look for salvation to come in ways we want it, in ways that we want it to happen. We often seek our salvation in our plans and our steps, but we need to remember that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, not any political agenda. And God often, God often works in ways that are so much better and so much different than our ways. Can I get an amen for that truth? Amen. amen. You know, a lot of times we make plans, we set agendas, and the Lord comes in and He just messes it all up. Yes, Lord. <laughs> but then we find out later that was in our best interest as we look back and find how faithful God was to us and how messed up our ways were. And I think Jesus really illustrated what it meant to be humble because he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he rides in on a lowly donkey. I mean, he, he is God, so he could have, you know, he could have came in on a limousine if he wanted to. You know? He could have came in on a four-star chariot. <coughs> And he came and they thought that he was going to overturn systems of government, but he came to overturn systems of injustice and oppression for God's people. And he entered lowly, he entered humbly on a young donkey, and there would be victory, and there would be salvation for people who would accept him as their Lord, as their Savior, as their Messiah. But it wouldn't look the way that the people expected it to look. We see that God has this already not yet kingdom. And the triumph, the triumphal entry is one of the best illustrations of the already yet, but not yet kingdom of God. The people shouted victory. And there was truth in their shouts. Jesus coming as the Messiah already meant victory for them. God was Emmanuel dwelling with them, being present with them in their suffering, being present with them in their pain, being present with them in their agony. Amen. And a lot of times when we are going through pain, when we are suffering, we believe that God isn't anywhere near us. And we say, where are you, God? Where are you in the midst of my cancer report? Where are you in the midst of my loved one dying? Where are you in the midst of these bills stacking up high? We often ask that of God when 